has been said that there is only one ruling class in America. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Liberty Lifestyle Podcast. In this episode, Tyler sits down with Derek Bros of the Conscious Resistance Network to discuss the Decentralize Your Life tour, Manifesto of the Free Humans, and more of Derek's latest work. Derek is a freelance journalist from Houston, Texas. He writes for The Activist Post, The Anti-Media, and Mint Press News. He also does videos for the Conscious Resistance Network. His work has appeared on Ben Swan's Truth in Media, RT, Al Jazeera, The Corbett Report, and many more publications. He also works with the Houston Freethinkers. You can now listen to Liberty Lifestyle on iTunes, Android, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and any platform that accepts RSS feed. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. Thank you for joining us on this journey. We look forward to having you with us in the future on Liberty Lifestyle Podcast, giving truth the liberty of appearing. All right, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we welcome Derek Bros from the Conscious Resistance Network and the Houston Freethinkers, as well as many other channels and uh, forums and areas on the web where he's spreading his philosophy and spreading his knowledge of anarchism and various topics that we'll get in here tonight, um, into here tonight. And I've really been looking forward to sitting down with Derek, and so uh, I really appreciate him coming on, and I've looked forward to uh, this conversation as your work has really inspired me and helped me along my journey and, and my uh, beginning into kind of a new activism for me. And so uh, we really do appreciate you for sitting down with us tonight, Derek. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your history start to start here and kind of like more of like your growing up and your background and go go as far back as you'd like with that. Sure, sure. That's interesting. Yeah, and thanks, man. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and to share some of my ideas. And it's always great to talk with people who say that, you know, something I did was inspiring to them because there's so many people who've inspired me over the years, and it's been great to work with them, you know, be inspired by them and then work side by side with them and then watch all of us just kind of grow and become, you know, working together towards the same goal rather than just like looking up towards somebody doing something I'm not. We end up working side by side. So, um, I hope something like that will come out of this. Uh, as far as, you know, who I am outside of the activism and journalism and all those things, uh, I've, I've had a pretty interesting journey, I guess you could say, you know, that led me towards the beliefs I hold now and the goals that I have now. I've talked quite a bit of, uh, about my um, story relating to drug addiction and depression and suicide. I've written about it in uh, my first book and also did, did an interview with Luke from We Are Change and and various other videos and such, but essentially, you know, it's kind of a, in some ways, a, I think maybe more of a regular story than people understand or or recognize at this point, but just dealt with a family who has a very strong history, generational history of <clears throat> uh, abuse of drugs and depression and prison and all these different things, uh, and I... I guess I was just continuing that tradition to some degree. And in 2005, I was arrested for possession of crystal meth, for possession of a controlled substance. And I'd been basically spending the last two years before that just really jumping from drug to drug and just doing whatever I needed to do to survive and not really living a very healthy physically, mentally, or spiritually 
uh, life and really a very respectful or conscientious life. And it was all because of just things I'd been dealing with the most, most of my childhood, just depression and um, suicide attempts and different things that I didn't really have the tools for at the time to uh, be able to process the feelings I had and to, to talk about them or to understand them. And <clears throat> I don't think the people around me were necessarily uh, equipped or really themselves knowledgeable on how to deal with these type of situations. And uh, it I took me a while to see that my drug use was di directly related to these questions and unresolved feelings that I had uh, related to my father, my birth father, being in prison for my entire life, uh, continuing to this day. Uh, so just visiting him in prison when I was younger and hearing about these things, drugs, and that he was in prison for drugs, not knowing what they were, and just created this sort of curiosity about it and all these different feelings and questions, you know, whatever this person that you know or everybody sort of, sort of indicates to you that this person is supposed to be important to your life. This is your father. This is your dad. This is why we're going to visit them. And they write you letters and make promises and, and just talk and create certain things. Well, those obviously those uh, those words have an impact on a young child. And so it, over the time I realized that it, it was really difficult for me to trust people because of being lied to so much as a child by somebody who was supposed to be or, you know, or, or I felt like needed to be a big part of my life. And in the absence of that, I just became very bitter and dark and sort of misanthropic and, you know, thought I hated everybody. And really, I just thought I hated myself. And so I couldn't care about myself. So I didn't care about anything else. And I've always sort of had this anti-authoritarian <clears throat> mentality and, you know, not trusted government and been open to the ideas of like paranormal things like UFOs and other things that generally just had me not trusting the government. So I feel like that's, those seeds were planted long ago, but they were also kind of buried under this other experience I was going through. And then I got locked up in 2005 and basically started a back-and-forth situation for the next three or four years of being locked up at state institutions and getting out, being on probation, going back, and then eventually getting convicted of a felony and <clears throat> being released in October 2008 after doing a total of 18 months uh, over a three- or four-year period. And that was a really interesting time to be getting out because it was right as Obama was getting elected and... Um, Basically, just within a year or so, I started to do research. I was a felon, so I couldn't get a job anywhere. And so I spent a lot of time at home or going to the library trying to uh, apply for jobs. I started checking out books at the library. I discovered, rediscovered that I was an intelligent person and literally felt like I'd been living in this cloud for such a long period of my life, like under this cloud. And I had finally been lifted, and I was able to understand myself again or, or maybe for the first time truly and uh, read about the drug war and was just like, wow, I really just experienced this kind of thing. And maybe it wasn't my fault that I was, you know, involved with drugs. Whether those good drugs were good or healthy or not is really irrelevant. And I started to rethink a lot of different things. And I read uh, Ron Paul's book, Revolution and Manifesto. I read uh, Jim Marr's book, uh, Rule by Secrecy, which kind of covers things from more of a conspiratorial angle. And a few other books and some documentaries later, and my whole life had changed, you know, and just had that sort of experience of going down that path and spending time uh, waking up, I guess. And that really led me into the activism that I do today, getting involved with and creating the Houston Freethinkers activist community, uh, trying to focus on solutions. Always from the beginning, since 2010, tried to focus on solutions, local solutions, no matter what the problem was. Um, and, you know, all that has evolved over the years to the journalism, to learning about anarchism and, and developing the philosophies and the ideas that I'm working on today. 
But all of that, all everything I work on today and the solutions I offer are all informed by everything I just shared with you. Like those experiences are what led to the things I believe now about the need for individual healing in order to truly create a world without a state, uh, an anti-authoritarian world. We're going to need to do a lot of individual healing where people aren't susceptible to the uh, manipulation that allows for statism to exist and the call for authoritarianism. So we just have to build individuals up, and that's you know that's kind of the premise that I put forth. Is until that happens, we're going to basically be running in circles. Wow, great job there! And you took care of a couple of my next questions all all in one shot. So I'm glad you went back in the history a little bit. This is a little bit more of a personal interview. You know, we're trying to get to know Derek Bros here. Um, I've listened to a lot of your work and I appreciate your message and I think you clarify it really well. Um, I've gone through some of the interviews recently and, you know, had some questions myself about your past and your history because that's not exactly the same uh, road that a lot of people in your shoes end up in or, or they would have chosen to take or those certain cer set of circumstances, you know, affect people a lot more uh, negatively and I, I admire your strength for... Um, you know, I'm sure, you know, you don't credit yourself completely. Like you said, it's these other people ahead of us that are that are passing along the information, the certain books that you picked up and, and read at that time when you were really looking for the information. It, it sounds like you came across some interesting ones, you know, and that's, I think, another uh, interesting turn that could have gone either way there at that point. And the same is true for me. Um, the trauma in, in the past also, you know, leading to my own kind of awakening, which I think for some people that's what it takes. And obviously you need to be shaken up a little sometimes in your own life before you'll start to question things. And that hazy period, like you said, I can totally identify with that. I, I have a period of my life that I call my unconscious state when I really was just kind of drifting through and uh, operating on indoctrinated uh, understandings of things and not really using critical thinking. Um, yeah, so that's interesting. And, and then the trouble, too, I can identify with that and then just kind of, you know, anti-authoritarian, but not really having the grammar or the, the logic to, to know why or where, when, how, and, and how to operate against that. And just really people used to call me like a rebel without a cause in that way. Like, you know, you're just kind of out there just seems like you just want to get in trouble or something. And, and then the drugs come up. And, uh, of course, in this society, that's treated in a way that uh, maybe it helped you, you know, to shake you up in that way. But a lot of people, you know, don't deserve to be sitting in b behind bars, don't deserve to be treated the way they are. And really, like you said, they need healing. And that's, that's really what this is all about. And, uh, you know, your philosophy on anarchism, you started to get into that. The audience may or may not be familiar with, with that um, aspect of your work yet. So we'll touch on that. Um, but one question I like to ask people who come on the show is, did you attend public school growing up? Yes, I did. I definitely did uh, go through the 12, year, 12 years mandated public school. It's interesting, though, because uh, this is something I've really been just becoming more aware of recently. Just kind of I was, I was actually having a conversation about this the other day, just remembering the feeling of being in high school and uh, because of all the stuff I, I elaborated on earlier, earlier, all the things I was dealing with, the depression and everything, I had never actually, until high school, I didn't use drugs till I got out of high school, but everybody in my high school assumed that I was on drugs because I got in trouble all the time, and I was just sort of, like you said, a rebel without a cause to a certain degree. I was always getting fights, and I just saw it as, like, this game, and, you know, they would 
come get me for certain things and they'd assign me to, you know, what do they call it, like ISS or some, you know, where all the bad kids had to hang out in one room and you'd be separated from everybody. And then when I got bored from there, I would just run out of the out of the school and they'd chase me into the woods and they'd come bring me back and they'd add more days. Or eventually, if I kept doing that and causing enough of a scene, they would just suspend me and I'd go home. And so I just saw the whole thing as just a way to mess with authority and really just, I didn't take it seriously. You know, I never really respected it. But at the same time, I was in all advanced classes and, you know, I didn't try very hard, but I was able to pass all of them. And it was just, I think I understood uh, innately, whether or not consciously yet, I, I just knew that that wasn't a good place for me to be and it wasn't conducive to the learning that I wanted to do. And actually, I went to go, um, I was going to drop out of high school in my senior year, I think like the sec- after the second six weeks, like halfway through the first semester or something. And I went to the counselor to tell them about that. And they happened to be opening this new school that they called School of Choice. And it was just much easier, kind of like your own self-paced, take the classes on computer and you can do what you want. And I actually ended up graduating a whole semester early while the rest of my friends were in high school. Still, I went straight into community college. And I was really close to dropping out. But overall, yeah, I think that that, um, you know, now I can kind of look back and see the different things about that institution that, I, you know, it's weird. It's like, I don't think I could go back to prison or be in an institution like that now that I look at the world the way I do, because it would just be so hard to be there, like against everything that I stand for. Well, you probably just write some really good books if you did. Um, but anyways, uh, I, I hear you and, and I kind of did the same thing. Like I just, I, I subconsciously or consciously just kind of checked out. It, it just, the schooling just really didn't work for me. It didn't engage me in the way that I needed to be engaged and so I just kind of coasted through. and um, But it's amazing, though, when you learn how to think later and you realize that you're, like you said, you rediscover that you're intelligent or you maybe realize it for the first time. And uh, the power that you missed out on by not being stimulated at that earlier age, you know, whether it's your fault or the system's fault or the parents and a little bit of both of all those things or whatever. But tell us a little bit about how you kind of came from that background to the Houston Freethinkers up to the point where you're going to go on tour with these guys on the Decentralize Your Life Tour 2017, and now you're, you're traveling across, across the country with some of these people that you've met locally in your area who want to work on some of the same things you do. Uh, the Houston Freethinkers is just a, a really big activist community, but it's also it's this like amorphous organization, it's or a non-organization, so to speak, because we don't have any official, uh, you know, positions. There's no officers. There's anything like that. I started as a blog in 2010, just as I was saying, just kind of freaked out about a lot of things going on in the world. Started blogging and writing, and I did that for a few months until I felt like it was insufficient and I needed to do more. So I started printing out flyers, just you know, are you concerned with the war? Are you tired of the police state? And just things like that, and I would go all over downtown putting these flyers on cars and uh, talk to all the friends of mine and found out who thought it was crazy and who was interested in trying to learn more and find solutions to the problems going on. And, you know, eventually it was just like, all right, let's start. I I met with some other activist groups. I'd already worked with, like, a 9-11 truth group and, like, a libertarian group and then the Fed group and all these different groups when I was first starting to get involved, and they all fell apart for different reasons or just weren't really doing things in the way that I felt like was going to be you know beneficial uh so after a while i was just like all right i guess i need to just start my own group and that was the houston freethinkers and it and really started with just me and three or four other people having a meeting in uh in the apartment i was living in at the time in 2010 summer 2010 
And then it became, you know, we started working with several different people. It kind of became a core group of five to ten people who are always working on projects and then dozens and dozens of others who would come and help in different ways. And since the beginning, our model has essentially been that every month we're going to have a meeting where our community and people who are interested in getting involved can come meet up, introduce themselves briefly, talk about the issues. They like, hey, this is what I'm concerned about. This is what I focus on, et cetera. Then we talk about upcoming events and try to come up with our own ideas for topics we should focus on. So we'll, we'll typically do in a, a month, we do the meeting, we'll hold the documentary screening. Um, in the years that we've had the Freethinker House like we have now, then this all takes place at the house. But in other times, it just takes place at, you know, public uh, restaurants, like different rooms we can rent out local places to host a, uh, meetings at. And we'll host a documentary screening, we'll host some kind of event, what we call Info Jam, just going out to, Houston constantly has festival, art festivals, cultural festivals all over the city, and so we try to just go out to these big events, and whatever topic it is that we're trying to spread that day, which could be anything from anarchism to human trafficking to anti-war stuff or whatever, whatever people feel is important at that time, um, we'll just go out and pass out thousands of flyers and do that, you know, and then we try to do um, monthly gardening as well and, and I'm also a promoter so we work with my booking company Visionary Noise and the Houston Freethinkers sort of collaborate together and do monthly benefit shows and uh, we also do a twice a year music and arts and activism festival where we bring like 50 plus musicians, local musicians and out of state musicians together with local um, local poets and speakers from the community talking about different ideas and then we also basically have just this huge agorist counter-economic market where it's all local vendors and food um, and crafts and you know of course nobody's paying any licenses there's no regulations or anything like that they just pay us a small fee to be a part of the event and then it's just you know people coming together and doing business together so we do a whole range of things you know there's been years where we've been <clears throat> more active in the sense of like out protesting and stuff if that felt valuable at the time we've also started a number of uh, different groups that have kind of branched off and focused on particular topics like the Peaceful Streets Project focused on uh, police brutality and filming the police. Uh, we did that for a number of years. And, you know, some of these groups, that's like we, we create different groups to focus on these niche issue, uh, niche issues. And then if it becomes important again, we'll just revive them, you know, but they sort of sit there or other people will take them on. That's the cool thing is we've been able to use the energy that we've uh, built over the years and, the following that we've built over the years because we definitely have people who are paying attention beyond just Houston thanks to the internet and connecting with other communities and inspiring other communities. There's like the Laredo, Texas Freethinkers, El Paso, Texas, there's Baltimore, D.C., and a few other cities that have just popped up either as real-world groups or online groups inspired by what we're doing. We have nothing you know, to do with what they do other than we hope that they have a similar message of pursuing solutions that don't involve state or corporate entities and focused on community building. That's like the core of what it is. Whatever the problem is, we're always going to be like, okay, how can we help this? And if that means let's bring some musicians together in our house and have like a big event and raise a few hundred dollars to go towards a local group who focuses on that issue. And we are also very careful with who we work for, we our work with. We make sure that none of the people we're giving money to are taking benefits from the state. So that does make it difficult sometimes and eliminate certain people, but we really don't want to contribute to any, you know, like for example, working with people who've, and we've, we've done this before, like, oh wait, look, hold on, let's look more into this, this uh, nonprofit. 
oh wait, they took money from some of the banks after the financial crisis. Like, no, let's just not work with them. Instead, like we'd rather give it to some people who are in the community, literally hand them some cash so they can go do something. You know, that's more value valuable to us. Like if that money goes directly towards feeding our community, feeding the homeless in our community, that's more valuable than it just getting dropped into, you know, uh, some multinational nonprofit that maybe doesn't really need the help. So it always focuses on solutions, uh, local action, and although it's never been identified as a libertarian agorist group, I definitely have used my influence over the years to try to push it that direction, whether or not everybody involved even knows those names or those titles. They understand, like, hey, we are going to take action. That's what the Houston Freethinkers is about. Like, we're going to go work with Food Not Bombs. We're going to raise money for local organizations. If the cops are acting crazy in our community, we're going to go confront them. Uh, you know, we've also done things like confront Henry Kissinger and um, I've confronted George Bush and built gardens. You know, we've raised thousands of dollars for different groups over the years. And, and right now, I'm living in the Freethinker House, which is the third version uh, over the years. I've done this two other times with uh, some other members of the group. Um, and I want to say, like, when I'm talking about group organization stuff, it's really, like I said, non-organization in the sense that it's this idea that exists. There's a website. There's, like, an online debate group. There's a Facebook page you can follow. There's a YouTube channel. And I, every now and then, speak as a representative of this idea. People facilitate the meetings, sometimes me, sometimes other people, but there's no official positions. The Houston Freethinkers are whoever shows up for that meeting or for that event or for that garden you know, day or that benefit show. Those are the people who are the Houston Freethinkers. And so if you are interested in you know, this, uh, again, this energy and this following that we've built and want to help influence it and push in a direction, all you have to do is just show up at the meeting and become a part of it, and you can help shape the growth. But obviously, if people showed up like talking about fascism or something, where like, hey, like uh, your ideas aren't really welcome here. But generally, you know, it's just an open idea that people can come influence. So you can come. We have people sometimes come in really excited about ideas, and they'll just tell us them, like they expect us to just turn, you know, run with them and make them happen. So we're just like, oh, that's a really awesome idea. Like, go ahead and do that, and we'll help promote it, and we'll find you a venue, or we'll connect you with whatever you need, you know, because we've built up quite a a list of connections over the years. You know, we're also the Houston Freethinkers has become the only city to successfully. Houston has become the only city to successfully kiss the TSA off of the bus stations when they tried to come to Houston in 2012, and we did that by partnering up with this uh, local criminal lawyers association, and you know, done different things like that where we're actually having an impact on our community. And again, without voting for it, without asking the government, but just going directly to the source of the trouble and confronting it sometimes. And you know, there's other things like in. I've been leaked emails and photos over the years of HPD holding training sessions on our group and talking about us with a militant tone, according to this one source, and specifically mentioning me, like, if you know Derek Rose, pass this information along to him. And I started researching about surveillance because of that and found out, uh, you know, about Stingray cell phone surveillance. We helped reveal that here in the city. I filed open records requests and found out that they've been following us since 2010 when we were just a couple people outside the Federal Reserve, you know, doing nothing. So, you know, it's 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 awesome in a way because it shows you, like, wow, a little bit of organizing. And sometimes we'll have Houston Freethinkers events and there's five people there. You know, sometimes it's 50 to 100, depending on what it is. But it's just this idea that scares them, that people are coming together and trying to teach people how to empower themselves. Uh, another big thing is the Skillshares, uh, and I'll start to wrap this up. Skillshares is probably a big part of also what, what we're trying to do. And as I said, the agorism ideas are already there. The idea of building counterpower to the state 
not relying on state or corporate power. People already understand that. If when you just say, "Hey, well, we don't like what they're offering us, so let's just build something better," they don't necessarily need to read the New Libertarian Manifesto to actually get it. It's cool if they do that and they go deeper with it and understand it on a philosophical level. But generally, they're just like, "Yeah, let's build something better than what they're offering us. Let's build around them. Let's compete with them." And the skill shares are our way of trying to contribute to that. So we've hosted classes at our house and other places uh, how to make your own soap. My grandmother came through and did like how to bake your own bread, how to can vegetables. We've done Spanish classes and a number of different things like that just to try to empower and give people the ability to take care of themselves because obviously the more independent people are, the less they need to rely on the state and other entities like that. So we're trying to build local power. We're trying to encourage people to come together and find solutions in their communities rather than looking outside and the Freethinker House is just the space where me and two other guys live. And we also document our progress, our individual progress, to try to move towards a more free state. As, you know, like my roommate's trying to, is in the process of one month away from quitting his job and just diving full time into the counter economy and trying to make money other ways that actually align with his beliefs. And, you know, we're also using the houses again as an example to show people how easy it is to divest from the state. And so we do all that. That's, you know, it's where I live. It's a part of my everyday life, like agorism. And these ideas are not just something I post about online. Like this is the way I live my life. Like this is what I'm doing every single day and trying to um, help people see how convenient and easy it can be. And that's what the tour is all about. We're ready now to take, I've been doing this, uh, the conscious resistance for three going on four years now. And the books that are about to be, the series is about to be complete with the release of the next book on uh, April 7th. So by the time people are seeing this, the book will be out. And it's going to be, it's time now to take the message on the road because I just realized like I can just keep sitting back and writing essays or trying these other things and I can build my own local power, but I need to just get out there and show people like what we're learning. Not that we have all the answers or anything like that, but to learn from other people as much as teach and, and help and share. So we plan to just take that message of decentralize your life, like decentralizing everything in the sense of unplugging yourself and your kids from the education system that we were mentioning, you know, and unschooling, homeschooling, world schooling, these kind of ideas, peaceful parenting. Then when it comes to the money, decentralizing, cryptocurrency, alternative currencies, barter networks, any other alternative to the status currency, uh, unplugging from the dead stream, you know, creating and supporting independent media ventures, uh, decentralizing in the sense of food production systems, growing your own food or community gardening, things like that. So really just applying decentralization to every area of your life and then coupling that with the message of healing that we're talking about that in this book we start to call now holistic anarchism, what we've essentially just been calling the conscious resistance, we're now beginning to refer to as holistic anarchism and, and we really break down why that is, but which essentially just goes down to the idea that you know we can't just think of life in terms of politics or economics or you know morality and, and you know property ethics and things like that, which all have a place and are important, but Equally as important is, I believe, analyzing all the areas of our life. You know, holistic literally just means dealing with whole systems, the idea of holism, of instead of just focusing on a piece of the individual piece, you're focused on the whole object, the whole situation. So I apply that to the whole of our life and trying to see all these ways that we are contributing to our own enslavement. They may not specifically be uh, related to the state per se, but they may still be contributing to systems that aren't serving the health of the people on the planet. And uh, I think it's, you know, it's important for us to do that. And along with that, looking at our own individual internal healing and, and trauma, as you said earlier. So we're hoping to take that idea and bring it on the road, teach about freedom cells, 
talk about holistic anarchism, do some short opening meditations every night. We're also going to be doing these action days where we just go out and contribute to each community, do some kind of park cleanup or uh, community gardening, volunteering, or homeless outreach, or really anything that people can come up with to show that we're serious about giving and being involved in communities. We don't want to just travel around like, hey, we've got all the answers. Look at us. Pay attention to us. We want to come contribute to the places we're going. And at the same time, invite local activists and local musicians to come out and be a part of our event at, in the evening uh, as well. And also as part of that, we're going to be trying to offset some of the impact and the cost that we um, – are going to be having just by having to use fossil fuel because whatever you think about ideas like global warming, it's sort of irrelevant. What I care about is not supporting unsustainable statist industries like the oligarchy and the oil industries that are totally a creation of statism and a product of statism. So I don't want to use their product as, as, as I want to use it as little as possible, which is very difficult. You know, the amount of plastic that we have everywhere in our world that came from oil and things like that. So, we're trying to see if we can get a van that can run on waste vegetable oil. That's our ideal situation. If not, we have another vehicle we're going to use. But to offset the impact of the the fuel that we use, we're going to be planting fruit trees along the way, just kind of gorilla planting of fruit trees as we travel. So all of those elements are going to come together for this Decentralize Your Life tour. And we're hitting 46 cities, starting with Texas in June and going to the West Coast and uh, Southwest and Midwest in July and August and then coming home for about a month and then going to the East Coast in October. And all that information is at theconsciousresistance.com slash tour. <laughs> Perfect. And everything I was like, hey, I better, yeah, I'm going to mention that when he's done. You you covered it. So you really went full circle there from the Houston free thinkers all the way, you know, to a lot of the work that you're doing and kind of uh, blazing this trail, you know, for others to follow and so I hope everyone who's listening out there who's wondering, you know, what can I do, uh, was taking notes. At some point during the, uh, that last rant Derek just had, you should have pulled out a, a notepad and a pen because when it comes to, you know, what can we start doing once we've come through the, the dark tunnel or once we've come to a certain understanding of how the world's operating currently and how it could be better, but then there's always that, well, what could I do? What, what, what could I personally get started on? And so... I think Derek basically just summarized that, and obviously there's more to it than that, and everyone's going to have their own approach. But as far as real-world solutions, I mean, I really see you as one of the people that, that are really taking a big step forward for everyone to show us how that can work um, in your area and organizing for when the opportunity is is necessary to be organized and then take action. You're, you're having the network in place to be able to go do that, and hey, this TSA, this is not acceptable on our buses and if there's no organization there to jump on that when it's occurring then you have you know what you have now is children in the airports getting touched by the TSA agents and everyone just turns and says well that's normal you know but you yeah, guys they, they wanted to be able to randomly stop everybody and, and check bags have drug sniffing dogs and checking ID of every single person who just decided to take the bus that day and that would have happened, you know, if we hadn't uh, chosen to intervene. And I, I, I really do like to use that example because people often think that the only way to achieve change or to stop the government is by using the government. And in this instance, it was like a cooperation of the Metro Corporation, the Department of Homeland Security, the city of Houston, HP. Oh, there was like 10 different agencies out there all celebrating this. And we were able to push back against them and, and force them to just recognize, like, all right, this is more trouble than we want to deal with. So let's just cancel the program. 
Right. And we're doing the same thing here in Salt Lake City, you know, um, taking your ideas and other ideas that I've come across and then starting to get organized on cell 411 on the different technology that's available, testing those systems out, even just to test it for now, because eventually, you know, those are going to become more important. And as we, you know, keep saying, uh, you know, we don't need the state, we don't need the state. And then there's always, well, what about this? What about this? I think, you know, what you're saying is you got to the point where you're, instead of just answering, well, this could be fixed by this. You're just, I'm going to go build those things. And now, now that I'll just build them. So every time you say, what about this? I say, well, I'm doing it. What, you know, what are you doing? Because I'm over here building those systems rather than just uh, talking about it. And I, I really think that's cool. You guys are doing the tour. Obviously, we're having you come by here, Salt Lake City. Still planning the day out activity. We got the nighttime activity locked in. Uh, a lot of people already interested and uh, amazing feedback coming in already. Just people saying, wow, I've been looking for something like this. And here it is, you know, and and, and really excited to get involved. So, um, like you said, decentralized um, with the Houston Freethinkers concept. Like you said, how, hey, this is the meeting space and we are all coming here to work together. There's no central planner. There's no boss man. There's no head kingpin here. We're just talking about ideas and we're all coming together and then we're implementing what we agree to implement and and then we'll get into freedom cells here in a second and how that kind of ties in you mentioned the book there while you were um, explaining the tour and how you got up to the point that you're at so I just want to mention uh, your other books in the conscious resistance series um, finding freedom in an age of confusion Reflections on Anarchy and Spirituality, and Alchemy of the Timeless Renaissance. And I don't know if I put those in the right order there. Now you've got the Manifesto of the Free Humans coming in, like you said, April 7th, 2017. So you guys can go to theconsciousresistance.com and purchase those books. Support Derek on Patreon and get to hear some samples of the new book, as well as... Um, like Derek said, ConsciousResistance.com slash tour to get some details on the tour. And Derek, you're speaking at Free Your Mind coming up here uh, soon. Do you want to give us a little sneak peek of your um, speech? Because this interview will come out after you've already given it, but it won't be posted online for a while after that. So do you want to give us a glimpse of what your talk's going to be about there? Sure, yeah. Um, and I just want to note that The Alchemy of the Timeless Renaissance is actually my co-author John's book. He wrote that before we started working together, but I definitely recommend checking them all out. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm speaking at Free Your Mind, and I'm excited because I just got back just a few weeks ago from uh, Mexico speaking at Anarchapoco, and that was the first time I attended that conference. And it's just been, uh, you know, like I'm telling you this story about going to jail and going to prison and having this drug addiction having this kind of crazy awakening when I, when that was happening, I was never thinking like, okay, well, I guess I'll just become a journalist and start becoming an independent activist till I can speak in other countries and it'll all work out. You know, I just was doing what felt necessary. Like I need to get involved. I need to find other people. And, um, you know, the, the, the universe, however you want to put it, the, the, the world has opened up doors for me constantly. And so that's sort of indicated to me that I must be on the right path towards something, you know, worthwhile. Um, and in that process, uh, the books have come about and uh, through the books getting to speak at other places and communicate these ideas and it's really an awesome experience for me because 
Um, like I said, I never thought that this was what was going to be happening, and I just cherish every minute of it because I feel like if there's anything valuable that I have to say or something I say that can inspire someone else to action or to motivate them towards finding solutions that you know I can't think of or I can't dream of, then that's a win. You know, even if it just reaches one or two people. Um, as far as the talk that I'm going to be giving, I, I gave a talk, as I said, in Anarchapoco, and I just called it uh, Agorism and Holistic Anarchism, A New Path to a Stateless Society. And that talk is on the Conscious Resistance YouTube channel, but audio is not really that great, so I'm hoping that they'll put their video out soon. But I'll be giving a similar version of that talk, but it's going to be a co-talk with me and John. So both of us, he's also one of the organizers for the Free Your Mind Festival, so we've released the books the last three years, or this will be the third year, the last two years at the conference, sort of just like as a treat for the people attending the conference. The first year we gave away a whole bunch of copies, and the second year we had the books there, and now we'll be concluding the series there at the Free Your Mind conference. So John will be able to, and I will be able to give a just an outline of the book. We wrote this book in seven days. He lives in Maryland. I live in Houston. And I flew out there. He lives like in the woods of Maryland, and it was in the winter, so we're just in his cabin in the woods for a week just hammered away for 12 hours a day, you know, just staying up all night, just bouncing ideas off each other. What do you think about this? How would we deal with this? You know, and just it was really awesome. I, I enjoyed it. It was definitely the most fluid writing process we've had so far. Um, and then from there, we just, you know, we work on the Google Doc back and forth and try to fine-tune everything, and it's it's a really fluid process. It's been great. Um, but we put – I definitely feel very happy about this book, um, and I'm just so stoked about it because I think for other people who may have enjoyed the first two, like we've gone back and made minor edits, like different things, like – so like you know, like superficial things like noticing typos to other things where I'm like, oh, I could have said that more clearly. So the last two books have got changes here and there, and I think that they're important and valuable as to what we're trying to say. And so this last one is really a good conclusion to this whole series. But I also think it stands alone on its own merit and will hopefully be a very valuable book for people because the goal with this book from the beginning um, and with these talks that are uh, you know based on the book is to inspire people to action. Like the book, we, we literally meant it to be like sort of handbook for agorism, handbook for here's how to divest from the state, you know. And again, not saying like this is the one answer, but saying here's a whole bunch of answers that we're trying and that I can say that, hey, I'm actively doing these things. And the people that I live with in the Freethinker house, we're using these concepts and we're finding more value in our life. We're creating community. We're building community around these ideas. You know, we just had 15 people at our house gardening all on Sunday and just learning and building together and just we're able to see these ideas so the talk is probably going to be somewhat similar but it'll just have the benefit of me and John being able to break down the ideas um, and I really I think the main point that I'm trying to that I want to get to people's minds because the first part of the book is like anarchist history agorist uh, philosophy and kind of breaking down those concepts to bo both people who are new to them and hopefully going a little bit deeper to those who are already uh, have read both Samuel Conkin's books and are kind of familiar with the concept. The second part of the book looks at the different areas of conflict like property values and the environment and uh, borders and immigration and things like that and how these things, different views might coexist together. And in the final part, this is the part that I really want to emphasize is that we – um, have plans for an intentional community to begin or maybe sooner, but definitely by 2020. Um, and just, you know, the reason putting it off a couple years because my original plan had been 2018 and I just realized how soon that was is I think now that the book's coming out and it's outlining these concepts and we've got the freedom cells 
uh, website and the network and the idea out there. Like the goal through this tour is just to spread this message as far as well and wide. Like spend the next two years touring the country. I've got some offers to go to the other to Europe as well. I'm trying to translate the book into other languages and really just put all my energy into spreading these ideas as far as possible. And in watching the technology that we we see, and I'm sure there's more technology apps and stuff that are going to come along that are going to help as well. But using the stuff we have now already, like the Freedom Cell website, nextdoor.com, Cell 4 and one and these others, these other decentralized tools and cryptocurrency to show people that it, the, the counter economy is already here, you know, that we can already do this. And so we just have to create a network where when you're traveling, you can connect to other people who can take you to the local farmer's markets or the local farmers or can connect you to people who are using Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies or just connect you to that underground counter economy informal economy and you know eventually we're going to be able to parallel what's happening now and especially as they're weakening in power um, and that's that's really what my goals are so that'll be the emphasis of the talk i do believe is just outlining the concepts and a big part of that is this uh this triangle that i've had in my head for a year and we end up being able to actually put it write it into the book and there's a couple of actual graphics in the book that explain the vertical horizontal algorithm and this triangle concept. So I'm thankful we got those in there because I think that, you know, visual aids can be helpful. And when I use the slides at Anarchapoco, people seem to be really, you know, interested in them. And they said that it was helpful for them to actually see it while I was explaining it. But this triangle, um, and I'll send you this image so you can put it up on the screen or whatnot. Uh, it's, you know, the top is the sovereignty of the individual. Um, and this, that actual phrasing comes from Josiah Warren, one of the first individualist anarchists in America. Uh, it's similar to the non-aggression principle, the golden rule, etc. He just has a very specific way of explaining it that I enjoyed. So the sovereignty of the individual, each individual is sovereign over their own self and you know, should respect the right of every other person to also be their own sovereign. And then you have in the bottom right, you've got um, mindfulness. And this relates to everything from uh, meditation or nonviolent communication, group uh, dynamics, different ways for your freedom cells, your communities to actually have ways to connect so that we don't build up on these same different issues. Not to say that there will never be conflicts, but that we find healthy ways to resolve these conflicts within our own communities so we don't break our own selves apart. Because in my experience with activism, we're often we're our own enemy. You know, the state doesn't need to come in and send anybody and we find ways to break ourselves up before we can ever really be a, a valuable influence. So I think in making sure that we're able to stay mindful in our in our actions, our communications, and regularly communicating with the people we're working with is extremely valuable. And then the other uh, corner would be uh, what is no, known as uh, Permagora, which I got from Eric McCool and his website Permagora, uh, which is just the synthesis of permaculture and agorism. And, of course, permaculture is already uh, the synthesis of permanent agriculture, permanent culture, and it, it has its own set of principles that essentially – are similar to the idea of the non-aggression principle, but just applied to your planning and design uh, related to the earth and to the resources. And it's also much more sustainable and efficient. And uh, uh, Eric just basically, he recognized that there was a value between trying to bring the agorist counter-economy into the per permaculture scene where people already understand the value of sustainability and taking care of themselves, but then at the same time, they worry themselves about licenses and regulations and all these kind of things instead of just teaching these skills to people, you know. So uh, I believe that those three, those three ideas and concepts, when applied with the agorist philosophy and counter-economic activity, leads to what we call the conscious agora. And that is the basis for this, this um, intentional community that we're building. And the, the last five chapters of the book just really focus on that. And we also, and this is, you know, 
you're the first one to know this. We haven't put this out publicly. We also kind of end with a, a call to action in the sense of, you know, we're saying 2020, so that means we'll see what happens throughout the rest of the Trump administration, right? And 2020, when people are ready to vote again for a president, we're going to focus on building our community and show people, okay, from 2020 to 2000, whatever, like how much more value we can create instead of focusing on their political system and, and doing that. And also basically do some math and try to show if we could actually organize, and I really don't have too much hope in the sense of this because I know it's been tried who knows how many times in the past, but the only real action that could be could be directly hurtful towards the state is an organized, active uh, disobedience in the sense of tax resistance. Like if people were, and we do the numbers and crunch how many people it would take to actually hurt them to take away the whole defense budget um, alone, so which would force the state into a, a mode of either having to print more money, quantitative easing, which is just going to cause more uh, you know, economic chaos and, and uh, breaking down the currency, which is just going to be bad for everyone, but definitely for the state, uh, or begin taking away services from the people in order to continue feeding the defense budget. Either way, it's going to be something that upsets the people and could lead to more uh, resistance and more people who are open to these ideas and looking for solutions, and then we feed them back into the counter-economy, conscious agora, etc. So, you know, we put those ideas out there. That's really where we leave the book is like, we're going to build this in com this community. We think we need organized tax resistance. Take these ideas and do something with them. Like that's, you know, that's like the bulk of the book. Like I, I really hope people will, will use it in that way um, and that it can become valuable to, in some form. But yeah, that's really, I think, what we're going to focus on for the free your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for, for giving us a sneak peek there. And, and I, I think the book could be used for the same from what I've heard of it so far, uh, listening on your Patreon account. And uh, I think um, the Permagora idea and the Conscious Agora concepts, I mean, seven years ago, you know, these words I would have had to start looking up. I never heard of some of this stuff. But, you know, up to this point now, I, I think you're right. The rubber has to hit the road at some point. And so thanks for sharing that with us. You know, at the time this interview is released, the book will be out. But so that call to action, that, that's interesting because it, it's just building up and building up. And there's so many people coming online to this that, you know, the systems that we're, we're living in are unsustainable as far as the societal systems that we've built up around us. And it can all be fixed. And it's not, you know, a lot of people may or may not be harmed with how it all unfolds here. But what we're trying to do and what you're trying to do here is make sure, you know, that that maybe that doesn't happen and we can we can build other systems that can replace the state in a nonviolent way. You don't need to go out and fight anyone. You don't need to go get in anyone's face and wave signs at anybody. These are real tools, real solutions here with the technology, with, with the information at this point that we can take and start using. And I, I agree. I think now is the time to start just doing it, you know, and, and not really giving a lot of hesitance to that obviously operating intelligently, smartly, only dealing with, with the people that we should be dealing with um, when we can figure that out anyway. Um, and I really look forward to the book again. Um, now, you've been talking about freedom cells. We haven't defined that in, in my audience. You know, I haven't at this point brought that out. So you talked about it a lot with the Houston Freethinkers, but give, and the application cell411nextdoor.com, freedomcells.org. But give us a quick rundown of the Freedom Cell, you know, Bob Podolsky's work, how that influenced the concept, how it got up to the COEO network, and, you know, what people can do to start start that in their area. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, so, yeah, we I know we've kind of mentioned it a few times, and that's basically the concept that we're using through the Freethinkers. Uh, but Freedom Cells, uh, well, first I'll start with where it comes from. Bob Podolsky, he wrote a book called Flourish. Um, it's, I have it somewhere around here. I don't know the full title, but it's like the answer to government and, um, and other forms of hierarchy or something along those lines. And he was a researcher who worked with uh, another guy who basically they developed their theories on group dynamics and how people work best together and discover that people work well in groups of eight. And they call them octologues based on that number eight, or octets. And Bob basically has this really in-depth system, which I do think, I do recommend people checking it out, his work. Um, ours differs in some way in the sense that, you know, Bob has very specific ethics that he applies to the idea of an octologue, mainly that I would agree with. And, you know, says it should be four males and four females specifically. And I'm sure there are some benefits to that. But we, again, are applying this concept of decentralization. So the Freedom Cells takes that concept and just calls for organizing people in groups of seven to nine um, and trying to use that structure for mutual aid, for uh, defense, for, as I was saying earlier, sharing skills, knowledge sharing, uh, preparedness. And it's basically a tool for each individual to gain strength, to gain empowerment, to gain all those things, knowledge and skills, but also to have a group of people that you can depend on if there's an emergency in your community, whether that means tornado, hurricane, blizzard, whatever, but you need some people to rely on you know, when the power goes out or something, or something more disastrous, catastrophic, like an economic collapse or uh, martial law or something like that. You know, It's not all about prepping and, and doom and gloom per se, but it's generally having this tight-knit group, a mutual aid group that can come together and for a common purpose. And that can mean having a, a, a form of self-defense, uh, whether it's the use of a firearm or maybe group. We've talked about doing like group self-defense classes together or martial arts together. Everybody, The goal being that everybody's on a similar skill level and knowledge level. Of course, there will be division of labor where people have um, certain – uh, you know, experiences and expertise in different areas, but everybody can generally, like everybody can know CPR, and that would be to the benefit of the group. Everybody can know how to shoot a gun. Everybody can have an encrypted form of communication, can know how to can their own vegetables or, you know, how to grow a garden, all these different things and skills that you could count on people. Then the goal is once you have your core group is you have each individual turn around and start another group, so then you end up with eight groups of eight to ten people um, interconnected across the city, and then, you know, as this is taking place around the country, we're starting to build that larger network that I was describing earlier, being able to travel and trade goods and services uh, with people. And at the least know that you have – you're just basically building uh, – I don't know if army is the right word, but a, a powerful group of enlightened individuals who are anti-state and working against uh, the state. And so this concept, I, John Bush picked it up from Bob Podolsky. He put it in my ear. Um, he's also the first person who introduced me to the, the philosophy of agorism, and I just kind of ran with the ideas and have helped popularize it. Um, so I started doing videos about it and talking about that. I was reached out to by people from New Zealand, from uh, Brazil, from uh, London and all over the world saying, hey, we're working on it similar. We call it this name. We call it this, but just really showed me the value of the concept. You know, people do respond well to this. People who have nothing to do with anarchism, nothing to do with, you know, the, that sort of philosophy. They just, oh, yeah, groups working together, doing fun things together. And I've tried to uh, influence that as well. I think we mentioned this in the book, too, is that if this is a beneficial concept for your life, like market that, put that out there, show people how your life is improving and becoming more uh, beneficial and valuable because you chose to be engaged with this community and you chose to embrace this concept. Uh, the name Freedom Cell comes from 
two different things. One, you know, they talk of terror cells and people coming together and forming small cells to to form acts of terrorism. And traditionally, yeah, when you study uh, war and, and tactics, having cells, secret cells, is a common tactic. Um, our idea was, well, we're going to be cells. We are, we're not hiding in the darkness like they are. We're out in the open. We're out in the light, and we're spreading the message of freedom, of peace, of, of essentially what is love, really, and building community. And the other thing being that each cell is like the cells in our bodies, like performing an individual task, but also a part of this larger organism. You know, so we. I'm absolutely an individualist, um, and I say this because somebody recently accused me of being a collectivist because I was talking about working in groups together. I was like, I don't think. No, I think you're misunderstanding what that means. Like, you can be an individualist but still choose to cooperate with other people. I absolutely believe, and it was because in the the wording on the FreedomCells.org website. It says something about like collective action or something. I don't know. And they were just like, what does this mean? But either way, I care about collective liberation through individual means. And I think that's what Freedom Cells allows. It doesn't, so that totally removes the need for a state because you have this apparatus, this totally decentralized um, set of groups that can also find common goals. And it, when the time comes, if we're like, hey, we need to organize across the country on this topic, then perhaps we have the ability to do that. When the time comes, and I also talk about in the future being able to uh, organize and do role playing. I think that's important to do cop watching, but also to potentially in the future dis disarm violent police officers or agents of the state who come to take people's kids because they don't vaccinate or because they smoke a plant or they don't practice the right religion or whatever it may be. Um, and I think that's down the line, and it's something that again is going to need to be prepared. Uh, be practiced because I've seen these situations in Ferguson and Boston bombing and Standing Rock and other places where it's just activists are just totally unprepared and the police are prepared and it's you know it, it's crazy and you know I think that our organization needs to be just as um, you know focused as theirs as the states when it comes to things like that so that's another application of the freedom cells so it has this multiple uh, valuable use I've been pushing the idea out there one of the guys that reached out from England was already building a platform called the Coeo Network, coeo.cc, and he connected with a couple other activists who I guess just this idea just seemed to be out there in the ether and we're all pulling on it at the same time because somebody else was doing the full circle project, Max Egan, and he has circles and then the Coeo Network and then like Collective Evolution started working on their, I forget what they call them, but different people, Bob Podolsky's work. And so it seems like that idea is like, hey, well, let's just localize and, you know, localize within ourselves, work on positive healing and growth, but also work on building in the community. And so they built the, the platform for us. It connects to the Coeo Network, who are people who might not necessarily be of the anarchist mindset per se, but they're obviously looking for solutions. And then the Direct Freedom Cell Network, which is definitely more of our, our kind of minded people. And it's still small at this point. I am trying to get on there really. Actually, it's kind of my plan for April is just to focus on growing that. And I do, I do think that the tour is going to be a big part of that in helping grow this movement so that we have this website. Because the website, I try to reiterate that it's not meant to be just a social network where you post on like Facebook or whatever. It's totally, it's similar in design, but it's geared towards what are your uh, skills, what are you interested in, finding people within your area close by and in trying to organize through that. So like I said, the more we build that up, the more we promote that, the more active it can be, then you connect with people in the real world and then you get off the Freedom Cell website and you go organize in your community and do real world things. So that's what I'm hoping for. I don't want it to just be like, oh yeah, I'm on, I'm on freedomcells.org too, I'm on all of them, yeah, like just another social network. Like no, I want it to be like, go there, find people and then get off and go organize, you know, and and do good things. 
So that's uh, that's basically the Freedom Cell network and the idea. And I do want to say one thing because this question seems to come up a lot with people. Well, the, you know, everybody loves the concept, and they're all like, "Oh, building free communities and this and that." Oh, but what what are they going to do once the state comes in with their guns? And I don't know if they just assume like we're idiots or that we have never taken into account that you know the state is aggressive, you know, and we think about Waco and things like that. But absolutely, I think it's important for Freedom Cells or uh, communities, free-minded communities, to be capable of defending themselves in some nature, and you know it's a sensitive topic to talk about because it's like, oh, the state doesn't want the people getting organized. But I'm just saying, like, if you're forming a community and you're trying to build it about freedom, uh, you would want to be able to defend yourself from in, any criminals, whether they're criminals of the state or just street criminals. You know, so yeah, I, I think that sometimes people just seem like, I guess they just think we're just going to go in and build the community and expect that everything's going to turn out perfectly. Like, no, we definitely have high hopes for that, but we're fully aware of the situation we're dealing with, you know. And again, that's why the propagating of this message is so important still, because we're still at the education phase. There's too many people who are indoctrinated still in the status paradigm. And, you know, we're going to try to build what we can and focus on building as many of these free-minded communities. And I do think that some of Konkin's vision is happening, that the state's going to decline um, and as they decline, they're going to try to clamp down in different ways. So the more we, further along we are with this building, this network, the more likely we have to survive in some kind of, you know, uh, beneficial way, in a way that doesn't have to, or that can involve as little violence as, as you know, possible. And my research into volunteerism and to create a voluntary society led me towards the idea of agorism. And agorism is basically the idea of anarchy and action. And so taking the ideas of self-rule and creating these, these better systems and actually going out in the world and doing it. So agorism is what I like to think of as once people have decided to stop reading about creating a voluntary society or an anarchist society and stop talking about it and decided to go out in the world and do this. So you look at any problem that we may face in the world or any, you know, any, any situation we're dealing with where there is a state or government option and try to find ways that you as an individual or the community can do it better. So one of these ways is the food. Right now there's a huge monopoly on our lives and specifically on what we ingest, what we put into our bodies. Growing your own food is one of the biggest steps towards independence. It lessens the control that the monopolies have on your lives. It lessens the control that the monopolies have on the farmers that are growing food in other countries. And it also helps us localize and focus on what we can do here at home. And a big part of that for me is why Focusing on anarchy and focusing on the self is so important because we have we have individuals who are lost in themselves and are easily manipulated and taken advantage of by the state. And they buy into the division, they buy into the fear, they buy into all these different aspects. But when you start to really go deeper with this, and not just in a political understanding of uh, anarchy or you know global events but going deeper with it and really focusing on how you can better your local area how you can better yourself and all these things you start to connect on a level that I believe takes you past G 
just politics and understanding of that world. You start to connect with yourself. And when you go out there and you, you start to create gardens or you create alternative currency networks or creating barter networks or just communicating and talking to your neighbors and moving past division and getting outside of the boxes, the matrix, so to speak, and learning to connect with each other. I think that's what's bringing us closer to evolving as a species, and I believe we are doing this already. The fact that these conversations are taking place, that these ideas are being explored, shows that they are spreading. And so I see the work of volunteerism and anarchism and agorism as hugely important, recognizing the power of your own self and what you're capable of, and the fact that nobody else can control you or should try to control your choices. And in that political philosophy of volunteerism, the idea is that the best way society can improve and the only way society can truly improve is the individualist method, the method of everybody doing their own to improve themselves. The idea is hoping that we can each change our individual units and as we do that and that idea spreads, society will begin to improve as well. I'd like to discuss forming a synthesis between anarchy and spirituality. Personally, I'm interested in finding common ground between the philosophy of anarchy, specifically agorism, and spirituality, specifically Buddhism and shamanism. Anarchy, of course, is self-rule, self-ownership, and a lack of central authority. When I say agorism, I'm speaking of the philosophy of anarchy that focuses on self-sufficiency, the idea of counter-economics, black and gray markets, and creating alternatives. When I say spirituality, I'm referring to a practice that brings you closer to your nature, to your essence, to who you are. When I mention Buddhism, I'm speaking specifically about Zen Buddhism and the meditation practice known as Zazen. And finally, Shamanism. Shamanism has been called the aboriginal roots of religion. All over the world, cultures, aboriginals, and native peoples were deeply connected to nature in the past. They used practices that some in our modern rational world would consider insane. Through the use of hallucinogenic plants, drums, meditation, one could experience a cleansing, a connection, a deeper understanding of self. This is also done through deeply personal journeys, known as shamanic journeys. My interest in these topics has drawn me to find common threads between them. My interest in anarchy comes from one of freedom. My interest in agorism comes from one of action, out of a need to create solutions in my life to make the world a better place. While agorism calls for action by creating alternative currency, self-sufficiency, and barter networks, Zen also calls for action. Agorism is action in the physical realm, and Zen is action of the mind. In Zen, the greatest action you can do is to sit, to still your mind. It's really about being conscious, becoming more aware of your own decisions. And this is about connecting with your mind. These two philosophies both call for action, one in the physical sense, and the other for action in the internal world, but both, again, are about action. So while studying some of the anthropological studies of shamanism from cultures around the world, I've found an amazing connection to anarchy. In anthropologist Michael Harner's book, The Way of the Shaman, he speaks on the reason why shamanism and indigenous teachings were wiped out. He said the following, The reason it was wiped out 
is because it undermines the authority of the state and church. To have hundreds of thousands of prophets running around on the loose. In shamanism, everyone is his or her own prophet, getting spiritual validation directly from the highest sources. Such people rock the boat. They are subversive. After all, if everyone is an authority, there's little possibility of creating a monopolistic business based on privileged access or right to interpret the words of official prophets or books. It's anarchy. Shamanism is the original anarchy. But I'm not discussing religion. To me, religion is to spirituality as statism is to anarchy. On both of these we see control and blocks to freedom. Meditation and shamanic practices are completely and personally direct experiences. Whatever you find there, in your own mind, nobody can take that away from you. And with anarchy, we see this as our direct connection to being a sovereign, free individual. There's no authority. There's a direct correlation. So, to pursue meditation, to pursue shamanic practices, it requires letting go of fears, insecurity, and ego. And I'm not proposing we create some new anarcho-shamanism, and I'm definitely not trying to say this is a one-size-fits-all solution, because those don't work. I'm rather providing another option, what I believe is a further evolvement of anarchy. In the New Libertarian Manifesto, Samuel Konkin III wrote, There is no one way, one straight line graph to liberty, to be sure, but there is a family of graphs that will take the libertarian to his goal of a free society, and that space can be described. I believe with the sense of spirituality and understanding of self coupled with philosophical understanding of anarchy and the role of government creates another solution. If we simply understand the nature of government and the immorality of force, but we don't go deeper and don't pursue to conquer our own demons and to learn about who we are, we skip past the deeper root causes that are the true cause of statism. We may beat this current government and get past statism, create agorist ventures, and find solutions. But I believe in a couple hundred years or so, we will create a new type of statism if we don't pursue deeper levels of understanding of self and the things that make us mistrust each other and mistreat each other, the things that make us pursue violence, that make us pursue and allow theft and to be caught into fear. Because as we all know, the state controls us through fear. So as long as we allow that fear to bind us, we are going to keep creating the same situation. Konkin also wrote, a lot more than statism would have to be eliminated from individual consciousness for a free society to exist. We have to remain consistent with our message and in our actions. When we apply our principles consistently, not only in political and activist realms, but in our everyday lives with our thoughts, our words, and our actions, we are contributing to the continued evolution of our species. If you're familiar with agorism, you're likely familiar with the three A's of agorism. Agora, or the marketplace, the exchange, anarchy, the self-rule, and action, which is needed to move these things forward. The three A's have been reminding me of a paraphrase of a Buddhist saying about wisdom, compassion, and action. The three A's form a path to success with agorism, and I believe wisdom, compassion, and action form a path to success as far as Buddhism is concerned. If you have wisdom, you're smart and you're an intelligent person. You understand the way the world works, and you have your view of this. But if you don't have compassion to your fellow human being, then why would you choose to work with them to advance forward? You're only thinking about yourself. But if you have only compassion, but no wisdom, then you're continuously running around and strictly letting your heart lead you, getting hurt and being led astray. So again, lacking balance. If you have wisdom and the smarts to use it and compassion towards those around yourself, but you don't apply the action, then you're still lacking. So what we need is wisdom and understanding of the world, compassion, 
for ourselves and our fellow human beings and combine that with action. And with that in mind, I like to propose adding a fourth A to Konkin's three A's of agorism. I believe anarchy, the agora, and of course action are necessary and are part of the path to success. But I would also like to propose that awareness be a part of this path. Once again, awareness of self, so you better rule and understand yourself. How can you know how to rule yourself, what you want, what you desire, if you do not understand who you are, where you're coming from, what you're afraid of, your insecurities, your doubts, your fears, and how to move past them? You set yourself free with anarchy. And of course, awareness applied to your actions. When we apply the same understanding and awareness to our own selves, we are deepening our understanding of what it truly means to be free. I hope that each and every one of you will take some time to slow down, be conscious, and to become more aware of your own thoughts, words, and actions. Absolutely, and we have to start somewhere, and so getting the group started, and at first it is just reaching out, it is just spreading the philosophy, it is just getting in contact with people and building the basic uh, networks. Obviously, you know, people like yourself and others have taken it much further than that, but once you start reaching out to the community, what seemed like a big scary thing to do, oh, the state's out there and I'm not sure if I want to take these steps, but then you, you take the steps and you realize that there's a whole lot that you can do that's not, I mean, like you said, protection against regular criminals. I mean, I consider the state to be regular criminals. You know, I don't put them off in another category. They're criminals just as well. But when we're talking like, you know, the average person's thought of a criminal activity, it could be used for that too. I mean, you are responsible for protecting yourself. And to pretend that the police are going to be there to protect you when the, when the stuff's going down is a joke and so why not get prepared just for that reason and and the stuff that you've mentioned here is the stuff that you come up with through your research bouncing it off of your peers off of your uh, cell or your Houston freethinkers but when I go talk to people about this in my local area because we're building this uh, here too uh, starting the pre preliminary work um, the, it's infinite the amount of things that this structure could be used for you know, you're pointing out the things that are immediate and most uh, pressing for us right now, especially in the voluntary movement, in the freedom movement. But beyond that, I mean, the, these structures, these um, these networks we can create with technology, but then, like you said, get out there in the real world and work with people, that it really can be used for a lot more even than what we've just talked about here. Uh, Absolutely. Much, much more. Yeah, I definitely feel strongly that this is, and we say this in the book as well, that this is a, a concept with unlimited potential. It just depends on how much people choose to embrace it and run with it, you know, because it's, uh, like I said, it's education, it's defense, it's preparation, but it's also like, hey, our freedom cell is going to go build a garden today. We're going to go do this. You know, we just, there's unlimited amount of potential, especially when you have, when you think of the concept of we build a network to having easily, say, 20 different cells spread across one city how do those 
thousands of people come together and perform and act, you know, like showing people, look, this is what voluntary uh, community action looks like. This is, you know, what it looks like when a community comes together. And so it really is an unlimited potential, filled with unlimited potential, and I just hope everyone will open their mind to that possibility and, and choose to embrace it in their own ways. Because as you were saying, each community, each cell is going to look different based on the needs and the environment of that individual community. So what we're doing in Houston, these are by no means meant to be like this is what every freedom cell needs to do. It's more like, hey, this is what's working for us. Experiment with it and see if it works for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So now give me a short answer here if you can. Off-grid living or taking over from within? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to be off-grid living. Okay, good. Yeah, that's As a much as possible. I got that off your website, by the way. <laughs> okay, so um, we've talked about quite a bit here. Um you know, with your past, you said you'd gotten into the trouble. I don't remember on this uh, occasion, I've been listening to a lot of your work recently, if you mentioned that you got a felony throughout all that. But is that your only reason for not voting, Derek, is because of that felony? No, not not at all. Actually, I voted one time in my life, and that was before all that stuff, before the, the drugs and the felon and everything. And that was mainly just because I still bought into this illusion that voting for not only just voting for the two parties, but really voting at all in that system is going to have some kind of valuable effect. Um, and, you know, I know there's people who argue that <clears throat> in this recent election, you know, voting against Hillary or voting one for the other, it's really just the same arguments that like voting against somebody, the Hillary supporters will say, no, you, you were supposed to be active because this meant stopping Donald Trump and the other people feel justified in voting for Donald Trump because they're so worried about Hillary Clinton. It's just the same thing back and forth. But at the time, uh, as I was saying, I was kind of anti-system, anti-war, but I didn't really have a deeper underpinning of knowledge to how things worked. So I knew I didn't like George Bush, and I was part of the sort of 2003-2004 anti-war movement stuff going on. And uh, I voted for John Kerry, his cousin. <laughs> you know, like didn't find that out till much later. Um, but so yeah. It wasn't much longer after that till I kind of lost all faith in those ideas. And then again, once I started to wake up and read certain books and develop my own understanding of the world, I had the philosophical understanding that I have now. And I don't, I don't vote not out of apathy, but out of strategy, out of trying to show people again that there are much uh, more valuable ways to use your time and energy. And I kind of alluded to that earlier by saying, you know, you go ahead and vote in 2020 for a new president. We're going to build our community. And in four years, we'll see which one has done more for our lives, you know, which one has brought value and uh, health and wealth to, to our lives. And I'm pretty confident in saying that a community uh, and of empowered individuals or just even focusing on your own life rather than putting energy into that system is going to be more valuable to you than, than that will be. And I know there are some arguments now, like, I mean, realistically, it's like, okay, well, Donald Trump is taking steps to increase the police state and go after different groups of people and stuff that will probably eventually be used on all Americans. But again, he's he's just the part of the, he's just the latest puppet to wield the state. You know, it's not like he's any individually worse or less. Like the the veneer may be different, the the mask may be different. Uh, he may speak less uh, clear than Obama did or whatever. But it's it's all the same to me in the end. Like they're all a part of a system that doesn't serve the people and that is built on slavery. So they don't get the respect uh, that they might want from me. Okay, well, thanks for clearing that up for me. You know, I just wanted to see if that was the only reason or not, so. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now, uh, you mentioned a few books, you know, um, that you'd read during your kind of, you know, waking up or going through your your, your massive growth phase there. 
Can you mention a few other books that have heavily impacted your life that, that maybe you feel like other people should take a look at? Absolutely, yeah. And the cool thing about the new book is we actually put a recommended reading list at the end of the book. So it's just everything from, you know, my, my, my work is not just informed by anarchist or libertarian philosophy. I've been really reflecting on that today um, that, you know, some people say that John and I are guilty of trying to thicken libertarianism and make it about things that it's not related to or whatever. But uh, in my eyes, who we are as people and the way that we live our lives and all and you know the, the beliefs that we hold outside of just our political philosophy are all relevant to the who we are as people you know so it's it's all interconnected in my view so some of the books that I would recommend that again don't necessarily specifically pertain to political philosophy but are valuable in just how you live your life I would add to that uh, obviously the new libertarian manifesto or the gores primer as far as agorism goes those are real basics uh, men against the state is an amazing amazing history book that I think more people should have to read. It's all about the uh, American individualist anarchist movement in the 17 and 1800s up to the early 1900s and just lots of good information, lots of history. Uh, just really recommend that. Um, you know, along those same lines, uh, Society Against the State, uh, the, the Art of Not Being Governed, um, On Disobedience, which is a set of essays about authority from Eric Fromm, uh, he's a psychoanalyst. Um, and then from there, I'd say books like The Four Agreements are also really helpful, that, you know, that they take some basic common sense wisdom and put it in a really simple, digestible form that can be useful for, uh, there you go, yeah, nice. <laughs> uh, and they can be useful in all areas of your life. Again, I feel like if more anarchists read books like uh, The Four Agreements, then, you know, that they would look at their relationships differently and they'd probably communicate the message differently and we'd, they'd probably be more effective and then the movement would grow quicker, you know, things like that. There's also things like uh, The Five Love Languages, a really good book I recommend for, like, relationships, not just uh, romantic relationships, whether you're involved in one or not. I think it's just a valuable book with a, a lot of insight into how we communicate with other people and it's got some real basic insights that, like, hey, guess what? people communicate and receive love in different ways, just like we communicate languages. So he tries to outline these five basic languages that he's identified that people communicate their love through. And by learning those, you find how to communicate more correctly to somebody or that you might be in a relationship with. Just, so those things, are, to me, are equally as valuable as the political philosophy. Um, there's also, uh, for those interested in, like, kind of brain-rattling uh, Zen Buddhist stuff that influenced me really early, early in my stuff. Because when I got locked up, I got into Buddhism and I started meditating when I was in jail. That's really where I first started getting into it and started self-reflecting and got my girlfriend at the time to send me chapter by chapter of the Dhammapada, which is just sometimes known as the Buddhist Bible. It's just a collection of sayings from the Buddha that are real basic and simple wisdom that just struck me and stuck with me at the time. So again, those things came to me before I ever discovered anarchism and those or what first drew me to nonviolence and just thinking like, wow, like all life has value and just all these different things. And then anarchism came along and was like, oh, wow, yeah, this makes sense in these other ways too. Um, so uh, on that, I would say um, uh, if you find this book, I, don't know, I forget who translated it, but it's called On the Transmission of the Mind from Huang Po. He's a 7th century Zen teacher, Huang Po, and he just – he really displays some amazing brilliance. And this, there's like just these two – real simple um, 
uh, it's basically like him giving speeches and going back and forth with his students. His students keep asking questions. So it's just like a Q&A between him and his students. And, and he just keeps like smashing down their logical thinking and just trying to get them to this place of just accepting like things as they are just in that moment, just this crisp, like boom, just being clear. It's a, it's a really interesting thing to me. I've always been inspired by that. Uh, other than that, I would recommend a book called The Cosmic Serpent. It's another really inspirational one for me. It relates to DNA, to ayahuasca, to uh, you know, uh, plants and a lot of different interesting topics. It's from an anthropologist named Jeremy Narby. Uh, I recommend that. And then, uh, I'm looking at my bookshelf right here. Uh, and then, um, again, another one that just will probably make you smile every time you read it, uh, find the gift from Hafiz, Hafez. He was a, uh, a Sufi poet from back in the day. I can't even remember when exactly, but they called him the tongue of the invisible. They thought he, he, his words just came out so brilliantly. It was like he was speaking the word of God or something. And his poetry really, it does that for me. Like I'll just sit there and read it and it just always puts a smile on my face. It just, it seems to have this real light. This, I don't know how to describe it. Um, but yeah, those are some of the books I would recommend that can just inform your mind in different areas and, and really expand your knowledge. Nice, thank you. Um, I'm going to have a lot of books to read if I keep asking everyone that question, but no, good stuff, and I'll include all those in the show notes, and we'll have little slides of the books coming up on the screen to give people a view of what they look like, and and we'll have a lot of links to uh, Derek's work in uh, the show notes as well. You can find his work all over his uh, social media sites and theconsciousresistancenetwork.com or just theconsciousresistance.com, and um, I hate to do this to you because you've done such a good job at, at already kind of answering this last question here. Um, but, you know, people are going to be likely picking this up in the future. Um, people like me that did find your work um, kind of come up to things later. And a year or ten years down the road, somebody could be listening to this. Um, and you're already doing this in your work, in your books, in your talks, and archiving this information online. But what kind of message could you leave here on this interview for people in the future that are coming up and, and maybe asking themselves what they can do or what is this all about? You know, can you leave us just kind of a sign-off message from Derek Bros of, of your message for those people coming along and, and listening to this? Absolutely. Thanks again, man, for giving me an opportunity to speak to your audience. And uh, I wish you luck with the rest of the podcast that you're doing. It sounds like it's going to be an interesting format. I'd say to anybody out there who's and who's just looking for answers or really trying to find their place in this. Cause I get this question a lot from people. We, you know, I've, I've been involved with the free thinkers now for going on seven years and every single month there's somebody who will come to a meeting and says, I feel alone. You know, none of the people I I'm close to care about the things I care about. They all think I'm crazy or whatever. They're not interested. And then they feel a sense of community. They're like, wow, all these people care about these topics. I might not agree with everyone here on everything, but they seem to be open-minded and they seem like they want to focus on solutions. And, then they'll come up to us and say, like, thank you, thank you for that. And to me, that is probably one of the most powerful things we can do is to create a space where somebody feels like they're able to just be themselves, you know, and to just be real. And then from there, you know, they don't, they can let their guard down and it's easier to communicate. Then we can start focusing on solutions. So I would say if you're in the process of looking for other people, you're in the process of trying to find solutions or where you fit in. Just either find a community of people that are already working on these things. If, if there's nobody, be the person to do that. Sometimes we have to be the person to just start that and go ahead and kind of be that light in that area where there might not be many people. But without a doubt, I would say you have to remember you're not alone. There's so many beautiful people working on positive things around the world. 
all over the, all over the country and really truly all over the world focused on building solutions to the problems we're facing. And all we have to do is to decide that we want to be a part of that. It's it's a simple decision. It just means that every day when you wake up, you're going to try to do something uh, for more than just yourself. And sometimes to get there first, you got to focus on yourself because as you know, I was saying earlier, I couldn't help anybody until I had to help myself. Um, and you know, it wasn't prison that saved me. It wasn't anything like that. It was me making a choice, a conscious choice to go a different direction. So it starts with that. Every single day when you wake up, just wake up and make a decision that you want to contribute to the world in some way. Not because you owe it to them, but because you owe it to yourself. You know, that's what it's really about. It's not about some collective guilt or collective responsibility. It's about wanting to enrich your life uh, by helping other people and by helping yourself through building something, something that's bigger than all of us. You know, I want to do something that's going to be remembered. I want to think about uh, the seventh generation, the next coming generations, and how we can build for them. So if you just remember that, it's, it's, just, it's just as simple and complex as that. Every single day, just wake up making a decision that you are going to change the world uh, by changing yourself and contributing to this larger awakening. And from there, all the things that I, that I think you're looking for will start to fall into place. Uh, it takes action, of course. You can't sit around and expect somebody to do it for you. But without a doubt, when you put your energy into this um, and you are motivated to change the, the things around you and the community around you and you put your time and energy into it, you are going to see the results of that. Yeah, that was awesome and, and really beautiful message. And I think you kind of throughout this interview did a good job at, at maybe kind of putting off some of your dissenters and answering a lot of the questions. You know, what is this, some kind of anarcho-communist syndicate thing? Like, what are you guys trying to do? You know, you, you really did a good job here at, at showing that, no, you're not categorizing left. I'm a left anarchist or no, I'm a right anarchist. It, it's this holistic anarchism. And, and taking an approach that we're willing to work with everybody towards the goals that we all want. And if it's here or there, as long as, as we're all moving in the same direction, and, and a lot of people want to get still in that left-right, oh, well, you know, I, all this doesn't fit into my left model of how this should work. And, you know, but the bri you're bridging that gap with, with just, you know, the way that you bring the message forward. So I really appreciate you coming on. I think this is going to be an excellent interview to, to cap on to the ones I've had so far. And you haven't even gotten to see any of the work yet, so you're you know, taking a big risk coming here and talking to me. We've already been communicating online. Um, I appreciate you getting in contact uh, back to me after I reached out to you. And to support your work right now, you're kind of trying to point people to your Patreon account. Is that right? Do you want to drop any other links here? Um. No, that's pretty much it. Yeah, if anybody would like to support me, I, you know, I get paid for the journalism I do, but a lot of the most of the work I do is is not paid. It's just because I want to help contribute. So anything extra just makes it that much easier to devote my time and energy. So the Patreon support's always appreciated. Other than that, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me through the Conscious Resistance or at Derek at theconsciousresistance.com. I'm pretty open to communicating with people, especially if you have questions and need help. Like that's that's my goal at this point is just how we can build this together. So get in touch if you need help. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on, Derek.